Stand 
awesome in power, our God, our God. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God.
I just want to lift you up this morning. We come here to worship you. Not to just sing songs. Just fill this place with your presence. Uh, there's a song that's just been it's been on my heart for a couple of weeks from uh, just everything that's been going on in the world with the pandemic and it's 
It's called Lord of Hosts from Psalm 46. We're putting our faith in God rather than ourselves. How we try to fight our own battles when we shouldn't.
If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn, first of all, uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, we've been in a series of messages uh, that should be, it's not on the screen, a series of messages, the end. Where are we at? Is this the end? A lot of people have been asking that as we've been going through uh, this season in our world. Where are we at in the end? And so through this series of messages, we've looked at What's coming up on God's prophetic calendar? What are the next events that are going to take place? So over the past several weeks, uh, we have looked at the rapture of the church, and we have looked at the uh, seven-year tribulation period, and today we're going to be looking at what is going to take place in heaven while the tribulation period is happening here on earth. That seven years of tribulation that Shane talked about last week, while that's taking place on earth, what is going to be happening in heaven during that time? And so we're going to take a moment today and we're going to look at two different events that take place during that seven-year period in heaven. Now, some people don't like to talk about end-time events uh, for different reasons. Some people don't like it because... It can get confusing, and you read through Revelation, and with all the uh, symbolism that's in there and different things that are being talked about, if you don't study it well, it can get confusing. But some people don't like to talk about it because it scares them. When you look at some of the events that are going to take place that we read about in Revelation, it is scary for those that are here on this earth. But for those of us that are believers, for Christians... This should not be scary for us. This should be exciting to talk about and to look at of what is going to take place when all this comes together. Now, obviously, we don't know where we're at in that end time scenario because the Bible says no man knows the day or the hour when all this is going to happen. But we do know that it's going to take place because we see it in Scripture. Christ talked about it, and we have a lot written about it. So it's important for us to uh, look at this, but we don't need to be scared about it. Uh, we were, a few of us were talking the other day, and a movie was brought up that came out in 1973. Uh, so I'm going to put you to the test in just a moment. In 1973, and the title of the movie just left me, but it was about the rapture of the church. So how many of you in 1973 remember that movie that came out that I can't remember the name of? Uh, yeah, so three of us in here. So now keep in mind in 1973, I wasn't even born yet. That was about 10 years before I was born. Um, 
All right, maybe not. But I remember that movie when it came out, when it was brought up the other day. It's like, man, I remember that. And there was a lot of things in that movie. And I was young, okay? I was real young, probably too young to watch that movie. Um, because that movie scared me. Thinking about the rapture and thinking, man, that's a horrible time. What would happen if I was left behind? Well, again, if you are left behind for that seven-year tribulation period, it is going to be a terrible time. And I don't even think uh, the best filmmakers today could put together what that's going to look like during that seven years. But again, I want to say, as believers, that shouldn't scare us. That should not scare us. We should look at it and be excited about what is getting ready to happen. And again, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I believe the next big event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. And I'm ready for it. Matter of fact, the band was finishing up their practice this morning and the train blew. And I said, that's not a train horn, that's the trumpet. Are you ready? So if you hear the train today... It's not the train, it's the trumpet. So we want to make sure that we're ready uh, for that event that is coming up. So with that in mind, when you think about uh, the rapture and think about how that's going to take place, uh, the trumpet of God is going to sound, the dead in Christ will be raised, and those of us that remain, those believers that remain, will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds, and there we will be with him forever, according to Thessalonians chapter 4. So what happens after that? After the church is caught up, and the church is in heaven, and the tribulation time has begun here on this earth, what happens in heaven? Well, as we take a look at that this morning, again, we're going to see two different events that we're going to talk about. There has to be an interval between the rapture of the church and the glorious coming of Christ. And the glorious coming of Christ, we're going to talk about uh, in a few weeks. The glorious coming of Christ is when Christ comes back to this earth at the end of the, revel- at the, end of, uh, the seven-year tribulation period and puts an end to the tribulation. Uh, he comes back and his feet are physically on the earth. And by the way, the Bible says that we will be coming with him. It'll be an army that's coming with him, but we won't be doing any of the fighting. He takes care of it all himself. But we will be coming with him. So that lets us know that we're going to be in heaven with him if we're going to be coming with him. But from the time of the rapture of the church till the time of his glorious appearing, there has to be an interval. There's a couple of things that take place. And the things that take place uh, are the judgment seat of Christ, which we're going to look at first. And then we're going to take a look at the wedding supper of the Lamb, which is found in Revelation 19, that we will be turning to in just a moment. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to focus in on verses 9 and 10. But I think this morning I want to go ahead and begin reading from verse 1, just so we get a picture of what he's talking about. Paul says, talking to the church at Corinth, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked." 
For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. He also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now I'll stop right there for just a second. He is talking to the church at Corinth, reminding them of the great resurrection that is to come. That these bodies that we have here on this earth, they're not going to last forever. That there is something more, and he's reminding them about uh, the resurrection that is to come and how we long to be with the Lord. But in order for us to be with the Lord, there has to be this new body, this resurrection that he's talking about. So now with that in mind, he goes on to say in verse 9, Therefore, make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. And the hymn he's talking about is God, to be well-pleasing to God. Live our lives in such a way today that it is well-pleasing to God. And here's why. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So Paul is speaking to believers at Corinth, and he is telling them that there's a day coming where we're going to have to stand before the Lord, and we're going to have to give an account for how we lived our lives here on this earth. Now keep in mind, there's a judgment day that is coming for everyone. Everyone, believers and non-believers, will have to stand before the Lord someday, and they will have to give an account for the life that they have lived. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed for man once to die, and then the judgment. But keep in mind that there's two separate judgments that are to come. There's the judgment for the believers, which is the judgment seat of Christ that we're looking at here. And then there is the great white throne judgment that comes at the end of the book of Revelation for those that do not know Christ and for Satan and his demons and the Antichrist. All of those will be a part of the great white throne judgment. So if you're not a believer in Christ, there's a judgment day that's coming that's going to be before the great white throne. But for believers, there's this judgment day that's coming that is the judgment seat of Christ. So want us to be clear on exactly what that is. Now, Paul used a word here for judgment that is actually the word bima in the Greek. So he's talking about the bima seat of Christ. And the Bema seat of Christ, the Bema seat would be an elevated judge's seat that the judge would sit on and he would look down and he would uh, give out rewards or sentences depending on the setting uh, that that judge was in. And so that's what the Bema seat would look like. Um, so now with the, the Bema seat, it's very important for us to understand that this word for judgment, Bema, is not the same word that is used at the end of Revelation at the great white throne judgment. 
But this word is used in Revelation chapter 4 that I'll hit on in just a moment. And another judgment that, uh, that John sees when he is caught up to heaven. The vision that he sees in Revelation. So it's used in Revelation chapter 4, but it's never used again after that for that judgment. So it's important for us to understand that. So there's a few things that I want us to, to note about this judgment that he's talking about in 2 Corinthians. The first thing is this. This judgment is not a judgment of salvation. The Bible says this in John 5, 24, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. So what John is saying in that passage is that when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you won't face a judgment about salvation because salvation has been taken care of and you have passed from death to Life. You have been made new. You have been born again into the family of God. The word judgment is also the same uh, as the word condemnation. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, according to John 3.17. And here's why. Here's what this is all about. There is no place in the Bible where God judges a person to determine whether they are saved or lost. You won't find it. There is no place where God judges to determine whether a person is saved or lost. The judgment comes to give out the sentence of what they have done, how they have lived their life. Whether you are saved or lost completely depends on what you have done with Jesus Christ. Whether you accepted him as your Lord and Savior by faith or you rejected him. That's what determines whether you're saved or not. So when we come to these different judgments in the Bible, that decision's already been made. It's already been determined whether you're guilty or innocent. Guilty is living your life on your own, trying to do it your own way, trying to get to heaven on your own somehow, not believing in Christ and placing, not placing your faith and trust in him. But innocent is when the blood of Christ has covered us and we've been made clean and we've been made whole in him. We've been made new. And so it's not a judgment of salvation. Secondly, this judgment is a judgment of evaluation. So if it's not a judgment of salvation, then it has to be a judgment of something. It's a judgment of evaluation. A judgment of how we lived our life. Our works will be evaluated. And here's the good news about that. This evaluation begins to look at our life from the time we accepted Christ until the time of that judgment. So the good news for us is that that judgment doesn't go all the way back to the time before we were believers. Isn't that good news? Um, it just begins from the time we accepted Christ on. How did we live our life as believers? How did we live our life as Christians? Did we make our life count for him? Our life we will be evaluated for how we followed Christ in his direction in our life. 
Our life will be evaluated by how well we carried out the great commission that he has commanded every one of us to be a part of. Our life will be evaluated by how we loved others and how we welcomed others into the family of God. How we ministered to others when they needed someone to minister to them. How we reached out to others. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where he says everyone's works will be clear. And each one's works will be tested by fire and that the works that are not burned up will be rewarded but the works that are burned up he will suffer loss. And he goes on to say that your works will be burned up by yourself or but you yourself will be saved. So he's talking about this time of judgment when your works are shown for what they are. The good works will last. Those that we did with the right motives and and following Christ's lead in our life. But the works that we did with the wrong motives or the wrong way, they're going to be burned up. They're not going to matter anymore. They're going to be taken care of at this time of evaluation at the judgment seat of Christ. So when and why... Does this judgment take place? Well, we're not sure exactly when this judgment takes place, but it's obvious it has to take place in heaven around the the throne of God. Um, So that means that it will take place sometime after the rapture of the church. So when the church is caught up in, in heaven, then this time will take place, but it also has to take place before the marriage supper of the Lamb that we will look at in just a moment. Now, many scholars believe that what we see in Revelation chapter 4 is where this takes place. And uh, you can go home and study Revelation chapter 4. There's a lot of imagery in there and some different things that we don't have time to break down this morning. But in Revelation chapter 4, John is all of a sudden caught up into heaven. In the first three chapters of Revelation, he talks about the churches. And in Revelation chapter 4 is the end of the churches. And he is caught up. The churches are never mentioned again from that point on in Revelation. And that's why many scholars believe that that is a symbol of the uh, rapture where John is caught up into heaven. And now he's standing in heaven and he sees a great scene before the throne. And in verse 2 of chapter 4 in this vision... He talks about this throne, and that word for throne, as I mentioned a while ago, is the same word that Paul used, which is bema. It's the bema seat, that throne that is seen. And John talks about a worship that is taking place around this bema seat in heaven. And when he gets to this worship, he talks about uh, the beings that are there crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And when they're singing that, when they're crying it out, then all those that are gathered around the throne begin to cast their crowns down at the feet of the throne, the feet of Jesus. They cast their thrones or their crowns down. What are the crowns? Well, crowns are rewards. Crowns are rewards that we will see receive when we're in heaven. When will we receive these crowns? At the judgment seat of Christ when we will be rewarded for those things that we have done that were good. And so with the crowns, with the things that people have received, the rewards, as the worship begins, they begin to cast their crowns down at the feet of Jesus. I hope you can get an image of that. 
What a wonderful time of worship that is going to be. Now, I love worshiping here in the church. I've been involved in a lot of great worship services, and many of them that still stick in my mind where it was just powerful worship and love the worship. But I'm going to tell you something. This is one worship service that I don't want to miss out on. This is one time of worship that I don't want to be on the sidelines. I want to be right there in the middle of it. And when we began to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, I want to fall down before him, and I want to have crowns to cast down at his feet because he is the one that is worthy. I don't want to miss out. I don't, I don't even just want to be a spectator in the room. I want to be right there. I want to be so engaged and involved because of what my Lord and Savior has done for me. What a great time of worship that that is going to be. So when? Sometime after the rapture of the church, before the marriage supper of the Lamb. Why? So that all of our works can be shown for what they are. The good will last. The uh, not so good will be burned up. And we will receive our rewards so that we can cast them down at his feet. So secondly, let's, let's turn real quick to Revelation uh, chapter 19 and look at the second event today, which is called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Now, the Marriage Supper of the Lamb is an incredible time that's going to take place in heaven again before the glorious, glorious appearing of Christ. But it happens towards the end of the book of Revelation before Christ comes back. So Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 7, he said, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his glorious wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Now notice that he says here that the bride has been made ready. Now the bride, first of all we need to understand, is the church, all those from the beginning of time, from all generations till now, those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is who the church is. That is who the bride of Christ is. Um, it's not just one denomination. It's not just this church. It is all people from all walks of life, from all places around the world, who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so the bride will be gathered for this wonderful time of celebration. Now, I want you to understand today and get this clear that just attending a church does not make you part of the bride of Christ. Just showing up, maybe you show up every week and you're active and involved, just because you do that, it doesn't make you part of the church that's the bride of Christ. The only thing that makes you part of the family of God, of being the bride of Christ, is by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not by works lest any man should boast. So it is by our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but our works come out of that, just as you said earlier in 2 Corinthians, live your life in such a way that is pleasing to God. That is why we do that. So why is it called the marriage supper of the Lamb? 
Because Jesus Christ is the true everlasting sacrifice for our sins. I want to say that again. Jesus Christ is the true everlasting sacrifice for our sins. We need to understand that it was Christ's death on the cross, burial in the tomb, and his resurrection on the third day was sufficient payment for our sins. That was good enough. It was sufficient to be able to say, paid in full. Sufficient sacrifice for our broken relationship with the Father due to the sin that separated us. And now that relationship can be restored because it was sufficient payment. And that's why Jesus Christ is the only one who can say that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He paid the price for us, for us to have a relationship with the Father. And the Bible says this, that no greater love has man than to lay down his life for his friends. Well, Jesus went further than that. Not only did he lay down his life for his friends, but he also laid down his life for his enemies. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were living a life in rebellion against God, Christ laid down his life for us. Well, Christ is known as a mighty warrior. Christ is known as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But it is Christ as the Lamb of God that has fully displayed his love for his church for all of us to see. Christ laying down his life as that perfect sacrifice so it is very fitting on this day that we see the marriage supper of the Lamb. That Christ presents himself as a glorious Lamb of God to the beautiful bride, the church. Each one of us that have placed our faith and trust in him. Now I don't want us to skip what John says when he writes this passage. Because he said, blessed are they that are invited have you ever heard of a party that was going on and people are talking about the uh, being invited to this party, the invitations have gone out, and, and you didn't get an invitation? And you know how that makes you feel. You kind of feel left out. Maybe you don't even like the person that's throwing the party. You wouldn't have gone if you got an invitation. But it's just the fact that you didn't get an invitation to the party that makes you upset. Well, I've got great news for us today. The invitations are going out. And each and every one of us are invited to the party. And all we have to do is receive that invitation by faith. And say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And I want to live for you. You see, if you reject the Lamb, the Lamb will reject you. But if you receive the Lamb... The lamb will receive you. And what a beautiful picture we have of the lamb, the bridegroom coming in to receive his bride that has been made radiant white in all of her glory, pure, holy, and in righteousness. That is why we preach nothing but Christ. That's why we preach nothing but Christ and him crucified. That he who knew no sin was made sin for us. That we might be the righteousness of God. I know no Savior except for Jesus. 
who bore my sins upon that cross, who died and was buried and three days later rose again, and now who is seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting for that day, for the Father to look at him and say, it is time. Go and get your bride. And the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, and those of us that remain will join them together. What a great day that is going to be. We don't want to miss out on that time. Can you imagine the celebration that we get? Just in this little glimpse, these few verses that John brings out, can you imagine the wonderful celebration that is going to be when the bridegroom presents himself to the, to the bride and that celebration begins? So what do we do today? Knowing these things, how do we live our lives today? That Christ, knowing that Christ can return at any moment. How does this apply to us right now? Well, the first thing is this. To make sure that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That is the most important thing that you can do. To recognize that you've been separated from God because of sin. And that his death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient payment. And you receive him by faith in your life. And the second thing is to live each day for him. Serving, loving, and being a light in the darkness as we've been called to be. Let's pray together. I want you to just take a moment and let's evaluate our lives today. First thing is, do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Today, if you've never made that decision to follow him. Maybe you've had questions and different thoughts, but today you know he's speaking to your heart. And today you know that today is the day of salvation for you. And right where you're at, you can open up your heart to him and just say, Lord, today, the best way I know how, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Come and live inside of me. Change me. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you've been a Christian for a short time. How well are you living out your Christian life? Are you following him? Are you serving him? Are you listening to him? Are you doing what he has called you to do in your life each and every day? Father, I thank you for this time of reading your word and just the reminder of what is to come. And God, these are things that we look forward to. These are things that we long for. And God, today I pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. But God, help us to be ready. God, I pray right now you would just speak to our hearts, that you would show us if there's areas of our life that that maybe we need to, to get right with you, that today we'd put everything else aside, put our pride aside, put our fear of what others may think aside. And God, today we would just lay down our lives before you. For those that don't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that your spirit would work and you would draw them unto yourself today. God, I thank you. Thank you again for your love for us that uh, you desire this relationship with us. What a wonderful day that's going to be when we come to that marriage supper of the Lamb and we see Christ and he sees his beautiful bride. And we are joined together for all of eternity. 
Thank you, God. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Today, if God is speaking to your heart as we close out the service this morning, uh, if you'd like to visit, I'll be down here. We'll have some others around if we need somebody to visit with. If, if you need to make that decision today to follow Christ, then I pray that you wouldn't leave this building until you, you do that. So we'd love to pray with you and show you how you can do that. Uh, would you stand for the blessing this morning as we get ready to, to dismiss? May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious towards you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Have a great week.